Hey, 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 what's up, y'all? Just talked to my friend, <clears throat> Greg Scamato. Scamato. And let's see, he was the first person who... I was at the comedy store. It was the second day I was in L.A. And Greg Scamato, the first person who was nice to me, reached out, said hello. I was probably looked like I was a fish out of water, out of water, a fish out of water. And yeah, Greg reached out and he wanted me to do an intro. <laughs> That's why I'm doing an intro. He wants me to set the table. He's like, you'll hear it in the episode. And yeah, he's like, people are going to be confused if you don't do an intro. So here's your intro, Greg. <laughs> Go to Greg's website, Greg can help dot com and this was really fun so this is a really fun conversation and yeah just shout out to greg for being a nice person because it can be scary to not it's scary to be the the new person in town but it's also scary to be the person that says hello to that person that the person that reaches out because Cause that's like a vulnerable thing to do too. Cause, yeah, that's you're. It just makes you a good person. <laughs> My main point is, cause if you're if you're nice to you reach out to strangers who look like they don't, they're new and it's very accepting and very community building. And you'll hear all about that. This was lots of fun. This is a fun episode. We had a great conversation. And enjoy it. What's with these homies dissing my girl? Why do they got a front? And how's it going? It's going pretty well, Chris. How are you? Good, man. What you been up to? Um, great question. Uh, well, I've been quarantined <laughs> up in Sherman yeah. Oaks. Um. For, you know, two months and just been writing a bunch of music. I got laid off from my day job. So it's oh, been giving me a lot of, that's all right. I mean, it's, it's given me an opportunity to kind of live the life of a full-time composer for a minute. Uh, so so I, I, I can't complain. I can't complain too much about, you know, the transition. It's, it's been all right. Um, for a while, I was getting some work uh, that had been set up since the fall, since before all this stuff started happening so like a tv pilot and a documentary film uh wow. and now uh, it's to the point where i'm just kind of catching up on some projects that i've wanted to work on uh, that are just like my stuff but uh, how have you been i've been good man we're in, i'm in up in northridge so we're actually not that far you're you're, you're in the valley so but okay. uh, i'm i'm good i've just been just like you just locked down not doing much doing a lot of creative stuff and um yeah i saw that you you just did what black vans your new album of pop punk songs uh, yeah black black vans came out a few weeks ago i had one after that uh blue, blue note green room. green room yeah that's right it's mm -hmm. just um some pr production music so for um you know under under beds for like um tv and commercials and things like that just it's it's mostly used for demo purposes all of those because um, usually when I get hired to do something, it's not 
with existing materials to write new materials, but just just so I can kind of showcase different different skill sets. It's been something I've been doing for a couple of years now, just for for fun and just to build up a collection of of written material. So, do you write like TV theme songs, or what kind of what kind of stuff for um, TV shows I, are you doing? I uh, I get hired to write whatever uh, they want me to, but um, the the most recent one I did was this project. Um, I don't know how much I can say about it, but I was I I was sought out. Um, well, actually, I I sought the director producer out. Um, say, hey, I you know heard about your project. Do you have a composer? Um, which is, you know, it's not the most tactful decision just to kind of like, you know, blindly look at these people and just, hey, do do you need a composer? But I, you know, I'd researched the project a lot and knew some of the names attached with it. And I just, I thought it was some, a cool opportunity. And he was like, you know, we do have a composer already. Um, but if you want to just take a stab at writing the opening theme, I'd be happy to listen to it and maybe put you in the mix for the theme song. Uh, for the show and it's um so we shot they shot the pilot um i wrote the theme and they they really liked it and we're like cool and we ended up um they ended up picking mine and then uh making some revisions and stuff so that that was finalized and then a few months later i think it was um february january i got a i got a call that was you know hey our composer that we had assigned or I guess, you know, hired for this project isn't available any longer. Are you available to do, you know, the whole project, score the whole the whole episode and, you know, hopefully series uh, if it gets uh, bought um, or sold, I guess. But um, that, that's kind of how that one worked out. So I was just the main title composer and then I was brought in to do, in to do the whole thing. And I, I think it worked out for all of us. So I have a question. So what's oh wait. So I'm thinking am I getting composers and conductors mixed up? Are those completely different things? They are. I mean some composers are conductors and some conductors are composers, but they do two different functions. Um if I were a conductor right now, I don't think as as bad as business can be sometimes, right now for conductors it's likely much worse because they're only doing live music. That that's right. right. So I mean, okay. Unless unless video technology has advanced so far that you know, <laughs> Dude, no Zoom Zoom conducting. Yeah, <laughs> just zero zero latency. Just yeah. Instant, no no delay. Have you seen Whiplash the movie? I have. Yeah, J.K. Simmons. Yep, uh-huh. J.K. Simmons his conducting in that is so funny. Like the way is that how conductors actually do it? Um. Well, I. I don't know if his conducting was was meant to be funny. Um, <laughs> it's unintentionally it, funny. You know, it's 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 interesting just because there's a whole world of of conductors. Um, so there's, I guess, two branches. I mean, that's jazz directing. That's that's leading a group. That's not really a, a conductor so much. Oh. But it it is you know the the so movements what, that you would do for like something that's in four or in three or in two. And then, you know, jazz people usually include a snap just because it's a little bit easier to tell the time and kind of get into the, the feel of it. But I mean, I guess it was conducting, but not the way we think of it, you know, in band or orchestral worlds. So can you explain to me the part, cause I'm not musical at all. 
Like, I don't sure. I'm not good at music. So explain to me when he kept yelling at Miles Teller, you're not on my tempo. Is that what you're saying? You're not my tempo. Remember that? Wait, yeah, that's, that's usually what a, a bad educator would do. Um, <laughs> that's kind of, you know, I went to school for, for drums. I went to school for percussion performance. And so it's, I found a lot in that movie that may have been true in some places, but really shouldn't be true anywhere. How the, how a director would treat an ensemble or a specific individual. Um, you know, not to say those things don't happen places, you know, conservatories and the like. Um, but that definitely wasn't my experience and wasn't most people I know's experience. Um, but what he was saying with, you know, not my tempo, it's not the tempo I'm giving you. And, you know, a drummer is responsible for the tempo of the group. So, and, you know, that would re- <clears throat> reflect on the director. So I guess in that sense, you know, he counts off one, two, one, two, three, four, you know, and if, if Miles Teller's character would come in a little bit earlier, a little bit late or not right on, um, then it would be in in his sense trouble. But I, I don't know, man, jazz is a very adaptive kind of art form where, you know, there are standards of performance, but at the same time, you know, entering a little bit earlier, a little bit late, not, not going to be the worst case. I, I find a lot of fault in that movie. Um, <laughs> and I definitely think, I definitely think if you're, if you're someone who is interested in learning about music, but is not currently musically involved, um, that would not be my first place to start. <laughs> what is a good music movie? Oh, a good music movie. I mean, Mr. Holland's Opus is a classic. Okay. Um, that's nice. Who stars in, do, who stars in that? Oh, man, I, I could not tell you. Okay, that's all right. Let's see. Is it, uh, it yeah, it came Tom out in 1995. I'll do, a, I'll do a little bit of it. No, that's uh, Saving Mr. Whatever. Saving Private uh, Ryan. <laughs> Richard oh, Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus from yeah, Jaws. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Richard Dreyfuss, about... Jean, Jean Louisa Kelly. Okay. What's that one about? But yeah, it's a composer. Glenn Holland believes he'll eventually write a transcendent piece of music, but in the meantime, he takes a job at an Oregon high school. Um, so he basically becomes a band director, and it's a a nice, heartwarming story about the impact a teacher can make on students. Um, I mean, there's, there's other music movies, but man, Whiplash is probably bottom among them. Uh, I try not to be like elitist about, you know, about music. That's that's kind of what bummed me about, you know, going to music school is that there's a lot of elitism in academic music. Um, but even like, man, Drumline is a better example of of education mm-hmm. and and the a musical experience than. Whiplash is. Whiplash is a, you know, that's more of a story of human experience, not so much musical. It's more, that's more like anger management. It's like that Adam Sandler movie, <laughs> Anger Management. It's <laughs> definitely whiplash. misplaced. Yeah, it's, it's, it's misplaced rage for sure. Um, and so Why I think, so you know, angry? my, uh-huh, I couldn't tell you. I know my, my <laughs> one of the professors at my school had penned like an op-ed around that time. I'm not sure how widespread it was, but it was definitely around, you know, I went to school at the University of North Texas, which is a big jazz school. 
and the mm. head of the the head of the jazz department had had penned a, an article just about Whiplash and just about music school experience and music school education, especially jazz education, just because jazz, you know, has rapidly declined in mainstream popularity um, mm-hmm. just because, you know, styles change and things. So this, this is not an example that may help that image. That's what his take on it was? Yeah, I mean, it was it was that, but it was also like, this this should not be an example of of what a music education is or ever should be. I think is is mainly the takeaway, not so much about the popularity of jazz. But. It really it started veering away from the music and more towards J.K. Simmons' rage. Like that was the. I mean, yeah, it's a it's a movie, you know. It's got to yeah it's got <laughs> to have interesting parts, um, and it's it's meant to be um, multifaceted and sometimes. <laughs> multifaceted and interesting are not how people would describe an education in music, but what is education in music? What's it like? I, uh, I like it. I loved it. Um, you know, I, it is a, usually a longer degree, um, just cause you have to take, especially at a university. I'm not sure if it's the same at a, at a conservatory, like Juilliard, Manhattan school of music, you know, things like that. Um, but where I went, you know, you have to take regular classes still if you weren't great in high school, like I wasn't. So you had to take your English classes and your math classes, um, as well as getting a music education. So it's I had to finish almost 150 credit hours, which if I took 15, you know, sem- 15 hours a semester, I'd be there for 10 semesters, and that's already five years. Um, yeah. So you know, it's it was it's it's kind of tough to finish that. So I went for five and a half years I switched uh, my major in between uh, or during the degree from percussion performance to composition uh, something that I'm I'm kind of glad happened but you know I've stuck with that since uh, but it was great it, learning and getting a degree in music isn't really about the music when it comes down to it it's not it's not about teaching you your instrument or history of music it's it's, it's a very well-rounded thing that really ends up teaching you about collaboration and about how you learn and how you perform uh, just because it is a very hands-on for most degrees. It's a very hands-on experience. Um, so it really teaches you more about yourself than about the music you're learning. So that, that's why I enjoyed it. And I, I still benefit from that. Is, so you mentioned collaboration. So I kind of picture is being part of a band. Is that kind of like being a part of a, like a football team? I would say there's there's a lot of a lot of ways they're different and a lot of ways they're similar. Um, I mean, there's all sorts of band sizes, and I guess there's all sorts of football sizes, seven and eleven and three or whatever. But um, I think when you talk about being able to work together and achieve a common goal, that's similar through a lot of things. Um, mm-hmm. So whether it's a whether it's a rock band or a big band jazz or string orchestra, all of those things are going to have different challenges and different approaches and different histories. And so it's, it's definitely varied. I don't, I don't, you know, you can't, I guess people wouldn't see those two things as being similar, but I guess in some aspects they are. Yeah. Um, man, I guess it's just for any, like, like any sports team. 
but what was I? I was just going to ask you a question. Um, did you grow up in Dallas, or where did you grow up? Uh, I I've been all over the. Uh, I was born in New Jersey, uh, North Central New Jersey. I moved out to the Bay Area in San Jose, California. When I was pretty young, I was four. Uh, a few years later, uh, I was about six or seven. I moved to North Carolina. Hmm. Uh, actually, I was. I moved to California when I moved a few years later to North Carolina. Stayed there until 2007 when I moved to Texas. Uh, lived in Austin and then moved up to Denton for college. Uh, briefly moved back. Now that's where. That's where home is really. Um, for six months before I got a job in LA, and I've been in LA 2016. So just just over four years. Okay. So you kind of grew up in Austin at the end there? I'd say so. I mean, I, I call Austin home. That's my hometown just because that's where I kind of felt most comfortable. It's where I met some of my best friends that I've had in my life. And it's where I really found who I was. So I guess, you know, it's, it's where I call home, but I've, I've lived all over the place and I've been to a bunch of different schools and had a bunch of different groups of friends and kind of left a little trail, but yeah, I would call, I would call Austin home, even though I only spent you know three years there. Do you think that like helped you become like, like made it easier to become an adult since you always had to keep restarting every few years as a kid when you moved? Uh, yes and no. You know, I do, I do adapt really quickly now. Um, I'm pretty keen to how people act uh, and how people speak and how they're to be understood just by meeting so many people in so many different places. I think I did miss a little bit of ability probably. Um, but at the same time, the friends that I, I do have and the friends that I made in high school, I'm glad that, you know, they, I didn't meet them earlier on when I was basically a different person and the friends that I met earlier on, I'm glad I didn't meet them before then and, and so on. So, you know, it was nice as, especially in those like pretty vulnerable teen years to feel like you're getting a fresh start and you can be whoever you want and, and kind of reinvent yourself. And that's, that's definitely what I did uh, in moving to Texas. And, you know, I don't, I don't do that so often now, you know, I've been here for four years and I'm planning on being here till I die. So uh, I guess if, if I'm looking for stability, now's the time to get it. Are you a big fan of LA? You like LA a lot? I love LA. Um, nice. There was, there's some, I guess, some option for me. The the, the places where my industry exists, uh, film and TV uh, scoring, are few. Um, you know, it, in America, the Los Angeles is a big hub. New York is a big hub. Uh, there's a lot of mm -hmm. activity in Seattle, in Nashville. Mm. Uh, some commercial work in Texas as well, just because so many companies are located there. Um, but outside of that, not not too many big places. There's there's a lot of stuff coming up in in Utah, um, a lot of stuff in in major metropolitan areas, uh, Orlando, Florida, Miami, Florida. But I mean, LA is really the place to be. It doesn't hurt that it's like a really nice place. Um, there's a lot going on and. I've found more things outside of music in LA that I've really loved. 
um, which has been nice too. So there's there's a chance I could leave, but I I don't see it. Yeah, Unless something you, catastrophic happens. I don't I don't see <laughs> leaving anytime soon. That's good. Yeah, in Sherman Oaks, you're in a nice part of town. Sherman Oaks is nice. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. yeah, and I yeah. yeah, I've got rent control, so that that's helpful. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I mean, you like the sun. You're used to the hot weather being from Texas, well, partly from Texas. Oh, yeah. So, yep. Yeah. That's cool. And um what so how many instruments do you play? Uh do I play to a respectable level? One. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I play. I play a bunch of different stuff. Uh, I like I said, I got a degree in drums and, and the degree in percussion, and so a lot of that stuff is varied. So primarily, what my best instrument was in college, in high school, and you know after both um, has was timpani, which are kettle drums, a, a set of drums that you can change the pitch of, uh, used primarily in orchestra or orchestral purposes. Um, but so that that's an instrument, you know, there's a lot of keyboard instruments. There's obviously drum set and other kinds of accessory percussion that just goes on. So it's a big world of stuff. So if I had to count all those, it'd be too many. Um, but I also learned a lot of piano in college. You have to take four semesters unless you're really good and can test out of them. So I did that um, after college. When I moved to Los Angeles, I started learning guitar. Um, but I always had instruments around, you know, as a kid. Uh, so I learned to play some, like I can make sounds on a lot of instruments. I can't make them sound as good as a professional, you know, instrumentalist can. But, mm -hmm. you know, a, a lot of things in the strings family, guitars and ukulele. I have a, I'm looking at my mandolin and cavaquinho right now. Cavaquinho is a Brazilian, well, I guess Portuguese instrument. Uh, similar to mm. the ukulele, actually the predecessor to the ukulele through mm. colonization. But um, so yeah, it's just it's a bunch of stuff. But I would say my main instrument now that I get paid to play um, is really piano, just because that's where I write. That's where I write my music. All right. Um, so I have a couple questions. Do you think sure. music? Do you think it's like an innate thing? It's like the nature versus nurture thing. Do you think music is easier if you learn it at a young age? Or do you think some people just aren't really musically inclined, or what do you think? A, a little bit of a little bit of some things. Um, I would say, for me, the reason why I got started in music uh, was because of my competitiveness. I just wanted to be mm. the best at something, and so that from a really young age, learning music, and I was really young age for musicians is like eight or 10 yeah it's you know it's not something that you have to start from birth it's not something that you can start you know too early on just because your body hasn't grown into a place that it can play instruments you know in a, in a proper way and sometimes if you start too early it can it can damage you know tendons mm -hmm. and, and bones and things um, i've mm -hmm. definitely felt some of that but um i would say so that, that's kind of how I got started, just because I, I really really wanted to be good at something. And because I was good at that, I kind of put everything else, like math, on the back burner. And, um, what, about, what about sports? Because you said you're competitive. Did you get into sports, oh yeah, too? I, I, played, I played soccer a lot as a kid. Um, I played all the sports, okay. you know, just to, just to get a taste of it. And then what I was really good at was soccer. And I still play soccer, well, 
not in pandemic, but I was in a league um, just before this. But, you know, I was I was good as a kid. I was left-footed but could use both feet. Um, I had a kind of good vision, field vision. Uh, and then I, I had tried out for a, a select team, and I made that team. And so we traveled up and down the East Coast competing in tournaments and things. I only lasted in that about a year and a half, and that was just with, you know, every weekend we were off to somewhere, and uh, we practiced five days a week. And so by the, you know, by the end of of that time, I started getting into music. This is when I was in middle school. I started getting into music, and that kind of just took all my energy and my my focus away. So I did play sports. Uh, I didn't stick with them too long, um, just because you know music really took over. But I, I would say that there are some people you know, neurologically who don't, who who aren't able to hear or understand music. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm one of those people. And, and, oh, are you sure? Okay, I think, dude, I'm, I'm not. Okay, you may. I have you no may, tempo. But, I have no tempo. Okay. Are you a good dancer? I don't know. No, I mean, I'm like the the guy, you know that wedding video? Remember when they danced to Chris Brown in the wedding like 10 years ago? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm like I'm one of those groomsmen. I'm one of those guys. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. so so there there are definitely those people. There are definitely people that are born with with just a really high level of understanding about about how music works on like a sonic and and you know kind of metaphysical level. And I think there's yeah. a bunch of people in between. And that's most okay. you know most people are going to be in between those two things where it's like, it could be something you learn at an early age. It could be something you learn at a later age. It could be something that you like to enjoy, but are bad, or you like, you like to do, but are bad at. It might be something that you don't enjoy, but are good at. And then there's a whole spectrum of, of things. But I think on the, on the far end of the spectrum are probably the outliers, the people who cannot do music and people who can somehow just do music. Um, so I'm probably... I think yeah, I don't, so I'm probably I don't know in, you in between. You're saying. <laughs> I would say I would say you're in between. I I think there's potential there, but you know who am I? I'm no doctor. Do you think, I have a degree in drums. Yeah, <laughs> you're a drum doctor. But um, a, do you yeah. think? Do, yeah. Do you think if for the people who are in between, if they really love music and they get enough training, can they push themselves to the other category? Oh, can they? No, I think I think there's not another. I mean, that's the thing is that like if we're talking about innate born with it kind of traits, I think you just have those two. I think everyone else can, can, I mean, sure. I mean, I don't think you'd move into the other category, but I don't think that category would be discernible at that point because people who are, you know, there's a threshold obviously of how good people think your music is or how good, how well you can perform. There's, you know, human limits. Um, and I think someone who really practices can be and look and sound just as good as anyone who has some innate talent. But again, I I don't think that innate talent thing is, is too many people. Yeah, I have a question. Like, do you ever look at you like look at like famous pop stars like Katy Perry or Justin Bieber or Taylor Swift, and do you ever look at one of them and just think they're not talented? I think in a a more naive time, I, I would say yes. Uh, in a more elite time, like when I was, you know, in school doing all of that stuff, I would say yes. But at this point, I I don't believe so. I mean, 
Taylor Swift, though she doesn't write 100% of her songs anymore, is an incredibly talented songwriter. Um, Justin Bieber has kind of that it factor that that you you want in an icon, um, but also has a great voice, um, a great learned. Obviously, he's he's messed up a bunch, but you know he's he's got a a breadth of knowledge now from living basically a lifetime in his childhood and another lifetime as an adult. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think these people are more adept at business for, mm-hmm. for the most part than they are now at, at music. But again, that's how they build empires and things like that. And I, I think it's a number of things have to line up for that kind of success. You have to have a good team of people who know the business and who have a network um, and then you also have to be that person who can who can really stick with it because it it doesn't come without hard work. Even if they're talented or not, you've you've got to be there and show up. And you know the people who can't do that are people who kind of get phased out pretty pretty soon. But you know people like that Taylor Swift and and like Katy Perry. People have stuck around for over a decade. Are obviously working at it and are obviously driven to be better and, and to you know, whether that's for their own personal or financial gain or not, it's, it's what they're doing and it's what they've, they're known to do. Um, so I wouldn't, you know, that's a talent in itself. Um, you know, I guess with that explanation, I would have to say that everyone who's a business person would be, you know, talented, but I, I don't know enough about fashion or, um, fashion or like you know cosmetics to really christen kylie jenner a a saint of talent right now but uh, i do Mm -hmm. think that those kind of those kind of traits of of, you know understanding business and understanding the people part of the business is just as meaningful as as being a good musician um but again if, if you surround yourself with enough good musicians or you know talented team it'll make you sound better you know, and eventually make you better just because you hear that these people are better than you and you, you know, something human and you want to be, wants to be better. Yeah. So do you think there's like a bunch of like Taylor Swift's floating around out there who just don't know anything about how to market themselves? So that's why oh, they haven't yeah. succeeded. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a number of factors. Um, but yeah, there's, there are, thousands maybe tens of thousands of that you know a 14 15 year old girl who may not have a platform to for people to listen to her songs um may not have the the means may not have the support uh that taylor swift had with her you know her family moved to nashville so that she could really pursue this career her family moved for her not most families wouldn't do that. And I think it's paid off. It's paid off definitely for her family. But again, it's just, you know, how many, how many families put that trust in a 14 year old and say, Hey, you really have something here. I, again, I just, I watched that Taylor Swift documentary that's on Netflix and just kind of found a a new respect for her. Cause I, for a long time, you know, as soon as I caught on that, she wasn't really writing a hundred percent of her songs. And I thought she was, you know, phony just because that's how we knew of Taylor Swift which because, oh man, this 16 year old, 15 year old is writing all these soulful songs. 
and you know maybe part of that was lost when she you know trusted in others to write songs for mm-hmm. her and 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 collaborate with others to write songs and i i don't i don't believe that at all anymore i just think yeah. that she's learned to you know produce bit more and better music and i i think you know at least the top 40 charts better for it yeah don't you think i think it's separate like i think writing the song is a completely separate thing than performing it live which is also separate from recording an album in a studio those are all different I well think. yeah i mean those are those are completely different those are three different um yeah. three different industries really and so combining all of that and you know on top of that understanding public public relations and understanding fashion kind of all goes into that you know celebrity icon that we all look at and you know a lot of times they don't have a hand in all of that stuff um sometimes they do um but i i do think that those are completely different um skill sets and completely different needs yeah and i think like you're saying it i really doesn't matter if bands or musicians write their own lyrics like i don't i don't know who would who would care about that i don't like what's people's gripe with that yeah i don't know i mean i'll tell you who's not complaining is the songwriters who are attached yeah. to the project most of the time i mean there are some exceptions um a famous one is or i guess a couple famous ones are a few years ago um the guy who wrote um one of the songs with megan trainer i don't know if it was all about that face or or one of her other like kind of breakout songs that didn't properly get credited for it and so lost out mm. on who knows how much money. Um, wow. there's the, there, are, there are a lot of stories like that, but at the same time, if you're properly credited and you have a good personal relationship or a professional relationship with that artist, writing a song for them could be the best, you know, that could buy you a house, that could set your kids up. Um, yeah. And even though pe- most people don't know your name or don't know you exist or don't know what you look like, it's it's definitely a an industry and a a profession that that has a lot of uh, allure and a lot of benefits. Didn't remember when people found out that Chris Rock didn't isn't did, he doesn't write his own jokes? Have you heard about that? Um, I mean, I know for I shit, if I were Chris Rock, I wouldn't write my own jokes either because I, I you know you you can me, not only pay someone for their jokes but also you're going to make people laugh, whatever you say. You might as well yeah. test out other people's material. But I, I know for award shows and things, he definitely doesn't write his own jokes. There's a team of writers, but. No, I've heard he doesn't write stand. I've heard he doesn't write stand up. but my point is, I think I would rather have a stand up comedian that writes their own jokes versus it doesn't matter if a, a singer songwriter doesn't, um, if a musician doesn't write their own lyrics. I think the stand comedian is more connected to their jokes. Do you know what I mean by I, that? I don't know. I don't. I I don't agree with that. Not only because Chris Rock is one of the best to ever, you know, be but on he didn't, stage. But, but he also, didn't write his. He didn't. He didn't write his jokes though. What? Wait, so what's ever, good about Chris Rock never wrote a single joke? Oh no, I'm just using him as. I don't know. I didn't do any research. I'm just no, using him oh, as an yeah, example. I'm saying like, yeah, he's he's definitely said and recited other people's material. Yeah. Um. But that's my point. If it makes if it makes an audience laugh, he's a successful he's a successful stand up comic, and he has been successful. And he's you know he's written movies and he's written other things. And he was you know on SNL obviously. So you write 
you write sketches and at least you write premises and punchlines. Um, so I, I mean, shit, if he's going to say a couple jokes from an up and coming comic, I'm, I'm totally okay with that. And I think that up and coming right. comic could right. be like, you know, my joke's been said by Chris Rock. So shit, but, right. if, if well, Chris I'm Rock saying, believes, yeah, what's up? Well, I was just saying if, if he just, I don't know, it's, it's not just, I'm not talking, I have no gripe against Chris Rock specifically. I'm just using, but I'm saying if he, if you use, or if you buy a set from someone, then you're just more of an actor. You, you're just a stage actor. You're not, you're, you're, you're acting like a comedian, but you're, you're not, I think part of being a comedian is, is writing your own jokes. I would, I would I say, know. okay, I, I, don't, I know you don't want to talk about Chris Rock specifically, but Chris <laughs> Rock is a, is a terrible actor. Um, oh, really? And so, so if he's acting up there, then that's the best acting I've seen by Chris Rock. Um, well, I, mean, no, I don't I, mean I acting, say, but you know what I mean. Sorry, go on. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was um, – I, I would say I feel differently about it. You know, I, I don't watch Chris Rock to – you know, as someone who's very different from Chris Rock or someone who's very different from a lot of, you know, big-name comedians, mm-hmm. I don't often relate to them in a lot of ways. So I just – I I just want to laugh, and I think you know that's true. If if the material makes me laugh, that's that's all I really. Want. I mean, there's a lot of people who don't write anything. That's for sure. Um, yeah. But but again, you you know those people would be considered actors. Um, <laughs> but I don't know, and I I don't think I'm anywhere of a um, of a person of influence in comedy. So I you know I wouldn't call the shots on it, but I. I'm fine with that, honestly. I mean, well, people obviously love Chris Rock. So he's like the worst example ever. (laughs) He's one of the most successful, most famous comedians ever. So it works for him, obviously. But I I just think for – I guess that's just coming from a writer's perspective. That One of my favorite parts, like part of doing stand-up is you write the joke and then you do it on stage. Then you go do it on stage. But yeah. That, that might be from an open micer, just from our perspective. <laughs> He's probably looking at it more from a business perspective. Yeah, if you can, it's it's the same thing though. If you can churn out more material, you know, however you do it, it and it makes it benefits everyone involved. I think it's you know go for it. It, it benefits the audience. It benefits the writers. It benefits Chris Rock probably most of all. Um, hmm. Oh yeah. And you know it's it's things like that, and you hear about that in in music, especially with Hans Zimmer's. Uh, remote control productions he has he has a house i mean i mean obviously he has a house but he has a like a composer house over in santa monica it's just this big facility that has a lot of other composers in it because when people are putting together a movie they say who do we want to hire for to write the music for this movie your number one answer right now is going to be Hans zimmer no matter what Hmm. Um, and so you you offer Hans zimmer a job or you may go direct to someone else, but if, you know, Hans Zimmer's studio gets offered a job and is kind of, you know, some things, if Hans Zimmer's not available for it or doesn't want to do it or, you know, his agent's not able to work out a good enough deal, you know, onto the next composer, but it stays in that kind of, in, in his company's bubble. Um, and mm-hmm. he's built, you know, he's he's built an empire and a lot of other composers there have built an empire just on that model 
alone. I mean, he's he's not getting credit for the movie, obviously, but you know, he's able to put people in the right spots because he's the top dog. Um, so I think you know, if if you're talking about a Chris Rock or anyone who really has that kind of pull and that those those like hey, you're expected to do a, a special every year, every two years. I mean, shit, if you've got a family and you've got other things to attend to, you might not have as much time to write as an open micer. <laughs> so yeah, you know, it's it only makes different. Sense. It, it's exactly why Taylor Swift can't write all of her songs anymore. She has input on all of her songs, just like Chris Rock can say, I'm going to change this and this, or I want to include this, and then go out on stage and, and, and kill um, it's, it's all the same thing. It's just how much is your time worth? You were talking about, I think relatability is a huge part of stand-up comedy. Like, I think, like, use, let's use Chris Rock again. Like, once you become his level of fame, then mm-hmm. I think relatability, you can't, you lose the relatability aspect, which is a huge part of stand-up, is being able to connect with the audience, I think. Sure, but but that's the thing is that like if you relate to Chris Rock less, it doesn't mean that everyone relates to Chris Rock less. Less just as when you get on stage, some people are gonna like you, some people may not like you. It's the same thing. There's an audience for everything. Somehow or another, there, it's a huge world, seven point whatever billion people or trillion billion. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. numbers. Yeah, billion, billion. billion. We're, we're yeah, not yeah. there yet. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's there's that many people. Each of them have. Uh, a unique sense of humor and a unique sense of, you know, what is or is not entertaining to me. So I think that some people may relate more, not, you know, even if it's not their life, they may relate more to, to him now um, than they mm-hmm. would, you know, 20, 30 years ago when he was a, a kid on stage at the comedy cellar. So it's, it's different things. Yeah. I, I I wonder how he stays motivated. Like, how do you think they stay motivated once they get that famous and successful? Because it'd be uh, really easy. To just... <laughs> no, but what if you're just so rich that it just doesn't even matter? You have so much money. Like, how do you keep do? How do you keep working? I don't. But most of them. Well, do keep I think. Working. But I think I think for comics, it's very different than it would be for um, for actors or for you know, authors and and writers like that, because that first time you get laughs on stage is, it's a feeling that you just want repeated. And the bigger that stage gets, the bigger that need gets, I feel. Um, yeah. Just because, you know, I can get laughs at an open mic, I'll go to more open mics, but I get a laugh at a show, like a booked show, and I'm like, oh fuck, I'm a I'm a professional comedian, hmm. you know, which I'm, hmm. I'm obviously not, and I'm not trying to be. But at the same time, it's just when you get to that stage and you go up and kill at the comedy store without even trying, or you go you go to you know the the comedy cellar and it's a a tough night or something, and you kill, and everyone after you has to compete with that. I just think that's a different feeling than what other celebrities run into. Um, and it's such an addictive kind of thing that, that comics are drawn to, especially comics who are great like he is. Um, also money, bills, deadlines, normal business things that, that motivate a lot of, a lot of yeah. people, not only creative, but uh, I, you mentioned, I, Oh, sorry. 
Oh no, um, I was just gonna, I was just gonna say that I I I would not be able to understand what motivates them because I'm just worried about motivating myself right now. <laughs> how how do you motivate yourself? Um, deadlines, money. No, um, <laughs> I just I like I like working with working with people. I think that's yeah. Um, that's probably my biggest motivator. So if it's someone that I'm helping out with a project or someone who sought me out for a project, just making our relationship as good as it can be for the betterment of the project. Um, I think that's what, that's a big motivator for me. I want to go back to music. Cause you mentioned yeah. being competitive, being competitive in music. Is that different than being competitive in like sports, for example? Um, no, I think it's, I think it's the same for a lot of creative people, especially creative people in these, you know, big towns, you know, that we're in, um, and you're from Washington, right? Seattle. Like a, yeah. So you're from a, a pretty metropolitan area. It's always Suburb. fighting for, yeah, fighting for your place in, in some kind of world. So fighting, fighting for, for attention or, or for, you know, eyes and ears. Um, I think that's always going to be something that drives a lot of people and something that kind of dissuades people away from doing something. Um, so I think for me, it's, it's toned down a lot since I was an angry little kid that was really good at soccer. I think mm-hmm. my, my competitiveness is no longer a, a kind of fierce me against one person kind of thing. It's, it's really just me against me um, just to kind of, stick it out and, and continue every day to be better than myself, uh, you know, than I was yesterday. So I think for things like that, competitiveness, and I think that's what athletes do a lot of the time is just how can I, how can I be better than myself? If you get beaten, how can I not get beaten the next time? How can I improve myself? And so I think that's a lot of it, you know, whereas my view of competition previously was how can I be better than the second chair percussionist? You know, when I'm first chair, and if I was second chair, how can I beat that first chair percussionist? Instead, you know, as I've grown, I've I've learned, okay, I got rejected from a feature film. How can I make sure I don't get rejected the next time? And the next time when I do get rejected again for a different feature film, how can I ensure that next time I won't get rejected? And so I, you know, it's always just bettering yourself. Same same when you bomb at an open mic. There's that there's that little part of you that wants to just be upset. And, and maybe blame it on the audience, maybe blame it on whatever. But then that other part of you is like, okay, I hated that. How do I not get to do it again? But again, some, just like laughs, just like laughs, a bomb can be just as addictive just because you're just like, yeah. oh, I want to prove them wrong. Or like, I, you know, you just want, it's just that feeling that you get. And I think, you know, obviously now without doing stand up in front of a live crowd for, four months I'm, I'm starting to doubt that I was ever ever funny but <laughs> it's, a, it's a different world now man yeah I think some people like honestly sometimes I like it when the audience is completely silent and I'm telling my jokes because I uh-huh. love like the hu- the humiliation feeling and like the embarrassment okay you, yeah I mean, you know what I'm saying about you can hire like a masochist for that <laughs> yeah exactly I if could always do that take good People pay good money. I guess you're paying, you know, five dollars a mic, but, um, but yeah, that's but that's it's, part of it, and it's it's just it's a feeling, and I think my po- people just love mm-hmm. feeling. My point is, it's a weird way of taking control of the room 
you completely take control of the situation just even more than making people laugh just by yeah like you know what i mean like you're even by making people just be completely silent you're just you you're being you're taking control you're being well you the person you already with have the mic control that's yeah that's the yeah. Cool part about stand up is that you you never lose control unless it's taken from you um and even mm-hmm. when people attempt people could attempt to take it from you you still have the control so you could go up on stage hey everyone welcome chris arneson and you could stand there for your five minutes and not do anything and you may think it's funny other people may think it's funny but the whole thing is that yeah exactly you are in control everyone is listening to you whether you say anything or not um or say anything funny or not you know people still have to listen to you and Maybe you're at Bert's back room and everyone's ignoring you and on their phones like they're not supposed to be, <laughs> but you still you still have the control. Yeah, Don't get me I started. mean, Bert's back. I've been there once. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's something like, because like I was talking. So do you know Ahmed Ahmed Al Qadri? Yeah. He's an open mic. Yeah, I just talked. No, to I, know, him. I just I did a pod- Yeah, I just did a podcast with him, and we were talking. What were we talking about? Um, man, now I just forgot what I was going to say about him. But, yeah, it's like like you're saying about having control. And, like, you would – I think you would grow more from just standing there and not saying anything for five minutes. You might – you would grow more versus yeah, I mean, standing up there and saying jokes. And And the nice thing about that is that if it's at an open mic – you get to do it just for the learning experience and you get to do it there instead of trying to do it elsewhere. I mean, some people could stand on stage at the comedy store or the main room for five minutes in silence. And depending on their status, people may still think it's funny. Um, <laughs> but I, I, it's all I'm status. Really, You're right. I'm at the really great resource, especially for comedy. He's helped me, you know, work through some writing problems. And I think there's something about some people who just understand how people are going to react um, to that. Mm-hmm. I think he's, he's really got a great understanding of almost like scientifically or something, just like just uh, knowing how people would react to a word that I say or a word in which order that I say them, um, you know, yeah. how, how fast I do things. And I think he's got like this little simulator or something in his brain that says this mm-hmm. works for me and this doesn't. And I think, that's why, you know, the sets that I've seen him do both at, at open mics and at, at shows really work because he's tailoring it to the audience. Um, he's tailoring it for the time and the lineup that he goes. I, I respect the shit out of that guy, man. Um, so I'm glad you got to talk to him for, for as long as he did. Yeah, he's really nice. Um, yeah. do, you think fun, do you think funny people have to consume? Do, here's my question. Do funny people have to have funny taste because I think I have a great humor taste personally. What's, what's the, do you think, do, fun, do funny, do funny people, have taste? do you have, yeah, do funny people have to have good comedic taste? Uh, in what they consume or what they say? In, in what they consume and what they enjoy to consume. No, man, I could, you know, you could be, a, there's comics out there who just watch nothing but garbage reality shows and they're still funny um just okay. because again just just like how you know real housewives of wherever the fuck connects with some people you know that comic is going to connect with some people um and it could be the same audience that that 
benefit that that you know understands and and appreciates both. Um, but again, I don't. I mean, and that again, that is me saying that someone else doesn't have good taste, whereas they may also say that I don't have good taste, and I don't. I don't think exactly. that's right. So you're right. Um, so the yeah, to say good taste is is just it's subjective. Um, yeah. It, but yeah, I. I'm starting to get into reality shows now just because I have fucking nothing to do. And I'm starting to appreciate little little nuance and, and subtle traits about each show and each character and the people they play. But um, were, were I, I you, don't think so. I think if you're funny, you're funny. And, again, what's funny to some may not be funny to all. Um, but I think that's that's a really nice um, a really nice experience of, of being human. So. Were you a fan of Survivor back in the day? Uh, I watched the first season. I think everyone with a TV did. Um, yeah. I watched the first oh, yeah. season. I think they're on season 62 or 40. something now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. really? Oh, I just wanted to pick a really high number, but that's pretty close. You're right. Um, <laughs> so yeah. I watched that first season, you know, like just like everyone did, but I haven't kept up with it. Um, what, I, what I enjoy watching now are – um, talent-based reality competitions. Um, the Voice, you know, good ones. Um, not The Voice. The Voice is a little bit too produced. And I was on a singing contest last year. Uh, that was on really? the CW. Yeah, I was. Uh, Which one? Can you was, say? Yeah, I can. I the NDA is well over now, but it's the um, <laughs> it's a CW Christmas Caroler Challenge. What? <laughs> it was an interesting experience. What happened? Um, well. You know, uh, well, I didn't win. I can say that now. No spoilers. Um, mm, dang. You can still watch it on CW.com, I believe. Um, <laughs> That's cool. But it, it aired. It aired throughout the holiday season, and it was uh, it was just a bunch of singing groups going against one another. Um, it did not do well critically. Uh, it was the lowest rated <laughs> Christmas special among all the networks. But I I still was on TV and I performed on <laughs> on TV. Well, that's kind um, of an, that's an honor to be the lowest rated. That's like a that's like you'd rather be the lowest rated than in the middle, you know? No, <laughs> I would rather be in the middle. It's like a niche, no, you, a niche thing too, because like, dude, we got we got beat by like by like magic shows and a bunch of other things. But again, I don't work for the CW. They paid me to be on the show. Um, yeah, I think they wanted it to do better, but also they were relying on us a lot for the for marketing it. Um, which oh, wow. you know, doesn't put them in a good – so I don't know what their budget was like for it. Um, but obviously they put me on TV, so maybe it wasn't <laughs> – <wasn't, laughs> but, but I think things like, things like baking shows, things like fashion shows, uh, makeup, any kind of art, um, I really enjoy watching and, and, and taking taking in. I was I was a huge Jersey Shore guy. What about that? That's, that's not so much what I'm into, but I understand that. But as an Italian, I also have opinions on Jersey. Oh, there you are. You're Guido. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> I am from I am from New Jersey, and I am Italian. But yeah, you're I, from Jersey. Wait, you're from Jersey. Oh my god. <laughs> New Jersey is a surprisingly surprisingly diverse and large state. <laughs> really? We're not all seaside heights. Yeah. That's funny. It, it, there's lots of different parts of Jersey, like yeah, I di- mean, different parts of the Turnpike. That's right. There's a bunch of exits on the Turnpike, <laughs> but there's you know there's a clear division of north and south, 
and and neither side really wants to you know you have the philadelphia side you have the new york side um and neither one really takes uh responsibility for the jersey shore tv show um, they both have their favorite parts of new jersey or the jersey shore you know geographically but i don't think anyone from new jersey is like hey i'll claim them as my own <laughs> does north jersey not get along like which one thinks they're better does, do they both think they're better oh, than the other? Yeah, does yeah. North well, Jersey? Think... And then there's there's also Central New Jersey, um, <laughs> which I I don't have a take on as not a New Jerseyan, but a lot of people who are in New Jersey and from Central Jersey also say Central New Jersey is a thing, whereas people from That's North Jersey thing. are like, well, no, I mean it can be. There's enough land there and there's enough you know industry there that it it really could be, but people in North and South are like, there's no Central. Um, that's the one exactly. That's why it's just. And Bruce, the boss is from South, right? I would have to look that up. I mean, he's. I think he is. He's definitely. I think everyone in New Jersey though would also. To me, that's the two things they agree on is that there's no Central New Jersey, and that Bruce Springsteen is is God among men. He's, he's from their agree. hometown. <laughs> Does everybody sure. claim Bruce Springsteen is from everyone, their hometown? Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, man, I could just, yeah, I want to talk more Jersey. I don't, I've only been to Jersey once and just drove through it. So, yeah, yeah that's it's appropriate. Drive through state. You drive through it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, <laughs> let's see. What? So, wait, I want to go back to composing. So, sure. and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. We'll wrap it up here. And do you have to go soon? Oh, man, I'm. <laughs> I've got a project that I'm working on, but it's it's one of my own things again. Uh, what so are you working not, on? It's not pressing. It's a, a kind of a folk album. Again, just kind of showcasing different things that I can write. So, you know, the Black Vans album was a pop punk, you know, very 2000s kind of ska punk, um, screamo kind of project. And then the, you know, Blue Note Green Room was a, a lo-fi hip hop kind of, you know, jazzy influence cinematic lo-fi type project and then this one's like a dreamy indie folk project so it's like spanning a bunch of different you know things that's the thing that i found most beneficial to me as a composer is versatility um especially mm-hmm. at, at my level you know i'm not at that level where i'm going to be hired to do one thing for the rest of my life like you know john williams um so i need to be able to if a project comes to me and says you know, this is what we need. I've got to be able to produce that because they're the ones, you know, paying me to write their music and they're the ones trusting me to enhance their project. So I've got to be able to do all sorts of things. That's, all right. So I want, I had this one question that I just remembered. Um, so you said attention, like a lots of creative people. Do you think all creative people are kind of just attention seekers? No, I mean, some people, <laughs> they have a hatred for attention. Um, mm-hmm. You know, whether that's attention being paid to them or attention, people, other people who do seek attention. I think a good number of people are. Um, oh, yeah. But again, that's... Especially that's comedians. Like, yeah, and, and a, uh, comedians sometimes may go through waves of really wanting that attention and other waves of not wanting any attention and really just kind of all eyes off of them. Um, so I think Except when you're on stage. Well, even right. even then, some people may not want, you know, those eyes, 
may just want to work through something on their own. But again, I've, I do enjoy it. Yeah. Soon, so I, can, yeah, I can me only too. To mind yeah. <laughs> I think you're lying. If you got to be lying, if you say you do, like, it's a human reaction to want attention. I think all human beings want attention. You know, what yeah. it's uh, just, I, I don't know. I think that's what it is. I think. Yeah. I can't, but then, speak, I can't speak for all humans, but I, I can only say my own life and I love attention. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. Um, and then what was I going to ask? Oh yeah. Screamo. Are you a big fan of Screamo music? You know, when it was in vogue, I hated it. I, I didn't yeah. have anything to do with it. I didn't, you know, I didn't participate in the culture, but you know, again, looking back through more objective eyes, less, less um, judgmental than I was in the past, I definitely think there are things to appreciate in it. I think one of the biggest things for me, and this isn't about Screamo, it's about country music, was just that I never really understood it, and I took that as me not liking it. Um, same thing mm. happened with me in jazz, with me in EDM, is that I didn't understand its function, I didn't understand its audience, and because I didn't understand that and I thought and heard that it was a substandard kind of style, that's what I went with. You know, I liked what I liked and I didn't like what I didn't know. Um, I've since changed about a lot of things. I think there's still things about Screamo that, you know, a lot of those, a lot of those musicians could really go into any genre and be, you know, super talented and, and those too. They just chose, you know, that kind of, that time and that place to put their talents into into that style um, just because it was so popular like you know you could make a nice little eclectic indie band or you can sell out a van's warp tour and you know be a big supporting act or something and, and you know really hit the audience and hit the iron wall it's hot um, so mm -hmm. i think you know that was just a choice they made again for business um, but you can put a lot, those are talented musicians in a lot of these bands that could play in a bunch of different styles. Um, you know, a lot of the guitarists, you could put them on and ask them to play some bluegrass guitar, and they probably could. Yeah. Wait, so is there a style to the, to the screamo, like to the vocals? Like what differentiates one screamo from another, you know? Well, um, again, if if I really understood it, and, and understood the differences, I, I could like pinpoint it, but a lot of the okay. things are, are vocal vocal techniques and timbre, um, kind of the tone mm. of the voice, um, but also, you know, how the drums sound. People did like create brand identities with how their drums or how the guitar sounded with, you know, how they opened each song, how they closed each song. Um, things like that are, are kind of, they span genres. They span styles of, of, you know, every everyone has like a trademark sound, and, and if they do, or you know, that's how they are recognized, and that's how they sustain and achieve their, you know, kind of place in in the genre. They're, you know, why they're known. So I think if, yeah, if you I know, think... if mm -hmm. they were all the same, then the the style would not benefit from it. That's interesting. Um, what was I? I was thinking, uh, what was I just 
thinking, oh my gosh, I had I had the question chambered, ready to go. Um, that's funny. Let's see. Well, do you have any? What else do you have? Do you have anything for me? Uh, I don't know. Is this, is this the is this the format? You just uh, you ask me questions and then I leave, or what? Do you have a dude? This is it. Whatever, whatever. No, no, it's whatever you want. If there's no, there's no bit to it. No, usually, no segments. Usually, no, no segments. Usually, just me, just talking to myself. So I'm like branching out and just reaching out to people and just interviewing people because it's easy to do it over the phone. And sure. Yeah, just I like the organic. Like, do you listen to podcasts? I love podcasts. What do you listen to? Uh, I listen to a bunch of sports podcasts. I listen to um, around the NFL. I actually wrote wrote some music for them as well. Um, a lot of the oh, podcasts wow. I listen to now, I I wrote music for. Um, oh, so cool. I listen to that. That's um, that's a podcast made by NFL Media. Um, there's also I listen to um, VR Football Ranks. Which is a international, you know, soccer um, podcast. That's Bleacher Report. So BR Football Ranks. Um, there's mm. a bunch of comics that I listen to. That Which I always, ones? A lot of them wrote music for. Um, so that the Community Service with Craig Conant is one of my favorites. Um, yeah, he's another that one guy. that that yeah he's got he's got guests on a lot and they have really they're not so in depth conversations but they really do reveal a lot about the the people and about about craig himself and he's just he's a hilarious comic um so i saw him yes oh i was gonna say i saw i saw craig at a ucb open mic and he's he's like famous he opens for delia yeah no, you I, know that of course of course I you know him. yeah i saw him that's where i first saw him was opening opening for chris delia um, yeah. You know, same with with I don't know if uh, Ahmed brought up Fahim Anwar, but uh, Ahmed's in love with that. Oh, dude. he did. He uh, did, of course. So the first time I saw him was also opening for Chris D'Elia. I I like Chris D'Elia. Mm. I don't like his audience. You know, his audience. Of, I'm like, not a big bros. I'm not a big D'Elia like, guy. Yeah. Fashion fashion bros, but I think he's funny, <laughs> and also I think I want to support any Italian American, especially ones from <laughs> uh, New Jersey or whatever. Man, um, you go strong with Jersey Italians. Hell yeah. So I, I think yeah. <laughs> you know, those are those are good shows. Um, BS with Brian Simpson, another one I listen to, or he, listen he opened to for Segura. Yeah, um, and then yeah. you know um, the guys who opened for Brendan Schaub, uh, Derek Post, and Asana Mod. Um, wrote music. Do you ever watch too, which is called uh, Spoil the Beans, and it's where they do like a, a each week they do a, a retelling of a movie like frame by frame to someone who's never seen it. And the person who's never seen it is one of the hosts. So it's like a very, that is probably the most organized podcast I listen to. And they may not think that they're organized. Um, but just the fact that they pick a movie every week, one person watches the movie and makes diligent notes, like does diligent note taking the whole time and then explains it. Then that other person watches it and recaps it in the next episode. They have a really good system going. Um, and, and I appreciate yeah, I, them. I, um, I can't really hang with those. That's just not my style. I'm not. I'm not trying to like. I don't. Know, I get that though, because there's some podcasts that are very thematic, like you said. Like they're all yeah. based on their structure. So I haven't. Yeah, I have an easier time with those sometimes, just because I know what I'm getting. If it's a movie I've yeah. seen before, I'll sometimes listen. If it's a movie I haven't seen before, I'll sometimes listen. But when it's like kind of a 
you know, like your episode is going to say episode whatever number with Greg Scamato, composer. And or just your name. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just yeah. Greg Scamato? I mean, just, you can well, put composer yeah. if you want. I'll put dash, but, dash composer. Okay, that, that'd be great. But, like, <laughs> people may see that and be like, oh, I don't really want to listen to that because maybe I'm expecting Chris to have on comics. Or I, I do want to listen to that because it's not a comic or something like that. It's just even that little of structure can can tell an audience what is and isn't listening to. Um, if it's a grab bag, I, I usually don't know if I'll listen if I'll listen to that. Not yeah. specifically your podcast, but if it's just like, <laughs> here's here's a two hour long conversation with this person, and I just I don't Wait, so, know. So you're not into the Joe Rogan style. Oh boy, um, I'll listen to a couple. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. I listen to ones Only that couple. I'm interested in. I listen to the Bernie Sanders episode. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Just, I love Bernie Sanders, and I love that he got time to speak, and that Joe is a good interviewer, um, and just was really curious and asking thought-provoking questions to someone who who did not get many questions from an audience like that that are you know sometimes you know, substantial. Um, so I, I'm glad that, that Joe put some substance into that conversation. Um, I listened to the, some of the Tim Dillon episodes just cause you never yeah. really know. You never really know what Tim Dillon's going to say or how he's going to say <laughs> it. Or sometimes the stuff he says shocks me and upsets me. <laughs> um, but it's usually really, really funny, which I can, I can appreciate even if I hate what he said. If it's funny, and that's that's the biggest rule, you know, of comedy, obviously, just to be funny. And I think he does that really well. Even though I don't think I I don't think everything he says is like super, you know, into what I, you know, it's not who I am. But again, who gives a shit about who I am? Uh, <laughs> if it's funny, it's funny, and it's going to reach someone who who really does, you know, vibe with it. I kind of um, think, and then. Go, mm-hmm. go on. Oh, I was just gonna say the other podcast I listened to is um, "No Sir, I Don't Like It" with Carmen Morales. She's another one who who just has those conversations with with comics mostly. Um, but what's cool about hers, and I think she's kind of slowed down on production since um, quarantine started. She's hilarious, uh, hilarious comic. Um, but she also is on the road a lot, opening for people and and doing her own shows you know, elsewhere around the country. And the cool thing is that she has such a massive network of comic friends that every time she goes into a show or into a, into a state or into a city, she knows someone there, they come on the show. So it's not just like this circle jerk LA comic kind of thing um, that can happen or New York comic kind of thing that can happen. Um, She's really out there with, with people who are performing in other cities and maybe who are just in town the same time as she is. Um, which I think is I think is really great just because it gives people, especially you know, in these media-rich cities of L.A., New York, um, Austin, Chicago, other you know opportunities to hear people from elsewhere talk about comedy and about the industry. Um, so I, I appreciate what she does. And full disclosure, I also wrote her theme music. So you know, we're out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. Yeah, you're right, because sometimes the L.A. podcasts, they just, you're right, it's like a circular thing. Well, it's an echo chamber where they just keep yeah. talking about how much they love the, I love the comedy store so much. And it's like, I get it. You guys like the comedy store. I, I understand. Oh, yeah, you the know, comedy like store you guys, 
but you don't need to talk about it for two hours. How much you, that's what a lot of like the podcasts that you don't really listen to, like the Joe Rogan sure. style podcast, they'll just, they go rant on and on about, about specific LA comedy stuff. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I think, you know, for, there's, a, there's a lot of different takes on it, but I guess those are, those are ones that I listen to. Um, I think, I think what bothers me is sometimes when people do like the podcast for podcast kind of thing, like I'll do yours if you do mine. And they, yeah. you know, don't have enough business savvy to not release them in the same week. Um, <laughs> so they get, you know, those, those are those are people at like at our level, you know, open mic plus. But there's who are, there's nothing who are wrong. Kind of like, I don't think there's it? anything wrong with doing. I don't think there's anything wrong with you doing. Like if if I was gonna do your podcast tomorrow, then I don't. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that's professional. Like lots of professionals do that kind of stuff. No, of course, but don't release it in the same week. That's not good business sense because you saturate uh, the listening market with the same conversation. You know, okay, I see. especially with, with podcasts, it's such an easy medium to record. Um, yeah. You know, especially now that everyone's everyone's online, and I know I I would have much rather done this with a you know I could have recorded myself um, talking into a microphone this whole time and then sent you the audio for that. So it's it's even an easier time to just like do collaboration like that where it's like, I can give you a really good product. Obviously, now we're talking on the phone, um, so it is what it, it is. It works well. It um, works. Yeah, but but again, like, it's I'm here and we're talking. Um, but again, I would just, I would release it. If I had a podcast, which I used to and I do not, I had one in college, so it was a, it was a while ago. What was it? Um, it was actually, it was a, it's a pretty well-performing podcast. It's called ResCast. I think it's still somewhere online. Um, it was for and by residence life professionals at universities. So hmm. um, I broadcasted it for my school, and we would have guests on that worked in housing departments from other universities. Um, and I would go to conferences and stuff and, and get people to interview. And, um, wow. yeah, it, it, was, it was a nice experience. But, again, like, if, again, if I were to have you on that one, I, I wouldn't because you don't work for, you know, a university. Yeah. But beside the point. I would I would probably stockpile a few episodes and then release them, you know, later on. I think that's the the best thing about podcasts is that you can record four in one day. If you wanted to call four different people that you know today, you can record them all today dude, and just release them, you know, week after week. Dude, you're actually just said you're you are the third of the day and I have one more hey. I'm doing. But but oh, the yeah. difference but the difference but the difference is I'm the person who puts them all out today. Just cuz Cause I'm Why doing more tomorrow, dude. No, no cause I'm doing more. I'm no, no. Such, hear me, hey, uh, hear, hear me out. Hear me out. Cause, I, cause I'm doing, cause I'm doing more tomorrow, and then I'm doing more on Sunday, and then I'm doing more on Monday, and cause I'm just, I'm starting to really pick it up now. Cause, cause well, I'm getting that's like. Great. Hmm. But then, that's, and that's also great. once I, sorry, once I do it, then I just like to put it out. <laughs> But I know that's what you mean, though. Like, it oversaturates. Yeah, be, be patient, because that's the thing is that, like, not only does it – I mean, oversaturation is one thing, because this material is evergreen. So if someone, sure. you know, in in five years, you know, let's, let's hope, sees your Netflix special, and then, like, <laughs> let's see, I'm, I'm being hopeful, okay? Five years. Um, <laughs> and sees, sees your Netflix special, and I'm then, writing like, it. I want to know more about Chris Arneson, they can listen to all of these, have conversations with your friends and, you know, the people in your circle yeah. – and they'll still get to know you better. I'm just saying for right now, 
as a as a person with a, a big marketing background, it may behoove you <laughs> to kind of release these a little slower than four a day. Dude, no, I I don't I obviously don't do that every day, but like, what would you do? Cause like, all right, so I'm doing, I'm just I cause I guess I got to the point where. I just got so bored from not doing anything. And I was like, yeah. I got to start just doing a bunch of stuff because it's been so slow in LA, as you know, last couple months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, I, but I know what you mean though, from, from a marketing, I'm just not, as you can tell, I'm not a marketer. I'm just a, a guy who just puts out four podcasts on a Friday. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's the thing. Is that like, a podcast is such a good medium for, for you and for like us, you know, people at not only in our industry, but at our level. Um, Oh yeah. So what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that like, you may have the drive to do this now to talk to, because that's, this is your third hour conversation. That's gotta be exhausting. Dude. Uh, I, I'm a big talker. (laughs) Okay. I, I do some four hour. Damn. I do. I've done, I've done five hour episodes by myself. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's and not to brag. That sounds like I was bragging, but I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I mean, I can talk. It's definitely like, a, an endurance. Yeah. So I would say, <laughs> I would say even, even though you can do that now, I don't know if you'll always feel like talking for four hours a day and then editing all no. of them and then uploading all of them. So I don't, what I'm I don't saying is, is that like you do have, the, you don't edit at all. <laughs> No, dude. I'm I'm all all organic. Every time. How are you, how are you recording in. this right now? It's called Rev Call Recorder. It's an app. You're you're not even so. going into a computer with this. No, dude. dude it's all Gorilla. Dude, don't even worry about it, bro. I'll just <laughs> I'll just send you Gorilla can still be professional, dude. <laughs> <laughs> gorilla. Dude, what about a Gorilla podcast? That'd be pretty good. Like a podcast sure. with a bunch I- of. Gorilla. But again, again, uh, for your gorilla podcast, you can interview four gorillas a day. Just, just release them one a week, so that you, you already have a month of content. Dude, no, I, I know what you. you mean. I know what you mean, but people don't. I know, and I know you said it's evergreen. But we were talking. We have been talking a little bit. We didn't talk that much pandemic because I purposely tried to avoid. I tried to avoid. Yeah, I, there's no, there's nothing else to say anymore. You know. No, it's too negative. Yeah. I don't, I don't even want to talk about it. It's not even. You're well, right. Not that it's negative. But, it's, um, it's just, it is what it is, and we're living in it. <laughs> we can't, we can't control it. Yeah. There's no. Yeah, but um, dude, that's that's funny. I know what you mean, but and I know I'm not going to keep up this pace forever. This is just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be interviewing four different people every single day. But this is, it's kind of like a. A, a spurt, like a burst of podcasts. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but, um, all right. Anything else? No, I mean, how have you been, how have you been keeping up with your writing? Um, well, are, I, are you writing I, much I, these days? I mean, not, not that much. I mean, I got a ton of jokes. Like I have a bunch of one-liners as always just lined yeah, up, yeah, ready yeah. to, ready to test them out. But, <laughs> But, do, you have, um, do you have any that you feel really good about that you'd put on your podcast? Dude, I, dude honestly, I no, I well, I mean, I I only write things that I think are really funny. So I feel real. That sounds it sounds very blowhardy, but I feel like all my jokes are really funny because they make me laugh, and yeah. that's like and the only people, thing I can judge it. 
And if people like your comedy, just like if people like my music, they're going to come look for more. So I'm giving you an opportunity to put some of your funny jokes on your own. I guess you have already the opportunity to put your jokes on your podcast. But I'm not oh, saying you, you want me to give you. Wait, let me tell you. I'll tell you one. Yeah, tell, tell me. You, tell me a joke. Let me. Yeah, no, let me put you on this grab. All right. Spot like this. No, no, I got. Thing. Here, I have it written. Brand. Oh, right, here we go. I I just wrote this one the other day. Uh, uh, Jordan. All right, so Michael Jordan. Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time, and one of the worst countries. All right. <laughs> I like. I love your. See, that's. I think that would. I already know that's a. I already know that works on stage. I don't even need a. See, that's the kind of joke that is offensive. Because me. Oh my gosh. Uh, that's not me and Ahmed. No, I know that's not offensive. But me and Ahmed talked a lot about like should comedy be offensive? Because I think it's. I think it's funnier when jokes are offensive, or edgy. Like that's my. I style. think it's funny when jokes are funny, and I'm probably I'm sure that's what he said too. I, you know, no, he did. You're right. If yeah, okay. <laughs> I think no, I think but jokes are funny if it if it just if it hits with you. If you love offensive shit, and then that's the only quality you find funny in offensive material, then I'm sure you'll find it funny. But I if a, if material's offensive but funny, I'm usually okay with it. Like I said, with Tim Dillon, love the guy, love his comedy. Don't like everything he says. Um, but at the same time, it's like, if something's offensive and it's not funny, bro, get, get the fuck off stage. Exactly. And I think the main, the most important thing is as long as the joke makes sense, that's what really matters is. Sure. So when you, when you, you know, I'm Jordan and then you clarified who Michael Jordan is, I didn't even need that, to do that. I didn't need it. I could, yeah, I could just say Jordan. You definitely didn't need to do that. Yeah. Cause you, everybody you just not set, up enough, the joke, but, set up the joke with like, yeah, like. Hey, I just watched Jordan. Just watched the Last Dance. Jordan was the best. Yeah. I, which I I didn't. I did not watch Last Dance. Did you? Yeah, but I purposely avoided it. No one cares, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Jordan, you a that's... Supersonics fan? You're a salty Supersonics of course fan. I'm... Are you? Asking, I, I love the Sonics, but um. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I love. Twenty the years Sonics. ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, but you're right. Um, I, did did the joke make sense to you though? Because yeah, yeah, everybody so. knows. Okay, and it's, I already know. So I like how you get all defensive. Like that's what happens with your comedy. If you ever tell a joke to a person and it's not on stage, then you get like defensive about it. <laughs> I'm not defensive. No, I know that. I I I get that though. Oh, I, I get yeah. defensive about. You don't see because you know how. First, yeah, but the first time I met was your first time ever doing comedy. The first time I met you. Yeah, dude, and I forgot so to you, mention that. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. good right at the very top. See, this is what editing is for. So you can say, hey, yeah. <laughs> this is my friend Greg. You know, we Dude, met at the comedy intro. store my, before my – yeah, hell yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not going to – I won't do an intro, though. <laughs> the, first time, the first time we met, dude, you had that index card full of jokes, and you just went yep. boom, 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 all the way through them. And then I listened, yep. and I think Ahmed was there also. Um, and we, we told you stuff, and you were like, okay, cool, yeah, and blah, 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 and you were writing stuff down. And usually, like you said, people do not – people don't usually do that. People usually are like, oh, well, it, it's funny to me. Fuck you. That's because I consider – I'm like a nice – I'm a nice person who likes to get along with people. Like if you can't – right. so I'm always, I'm always receptive to 
and and that just means that you guys were like that you guys care and that you were listening. If you're giving me any yeah. feedback, it's positive. We were we were like strangers to you then, so it's like it's some people don't take too kindly to strangers telling them things about their comedy. But you, I mean, obviously it was your first time, but you're also receptive. I don't, did you get on stage that night or no? The first time we met was at the comedy store. Remember that? that we were at, yeah, yeah. Is at the comedy store, and um, yeah. but I did not get on stage that night. But then you guys were at my first time at Acme. Oh, Acme was your first time. Okay. Acme was my first time. That's a great open. Yeah, man, I missed that. God, dude, miss, that's a comedy. that's a fun one. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It, dude, it's gonna be really exciting when it comes back. Like I'm, you know, I'm pumped the, to yeah. go back and do it. The best, the best part about it is that all of us are back at the same level. You, me, Chris Rock. We are all not here anymore. <laughs> What's going to make people laugh? Um, and so it's going to be a True. new challenge. I think, I think we're going to see a lot of people, especially if we hang around the comedy store enough, we'll see a lot of people who were of a little obscure before but are now getting more attention just because they adapted better to this, not only this, like, crisis, but also, like, just where we're at as a society, you know? Especially we'll have smaller rooms now. So people who play to smaller rooms better – We'll, we'll likely yeah. have a head up on everyone else, um, and that's gonna. It's like people. everything hurt people. Everything has been reversed. Like we have the power now. As the open micers have the power now. Well, it's weird. I wouldn't laugh hard. <laughs> well, I, definitely like, but that's the thing is that like we're gonna be at open mics again, and these pros yeah, sure. are also probably gonna be have to be at open mics at, just to just oh, to yeah. get back into it. Um, and I know oh, some yeah. people, some people from LA are going to states that are already reopened and getting work out yep. there instead just because not only they want to make money doing comedy, but they just want that heads up or that, that head start before comedy opens back up in LA, which probably be late summer, maybe fall. Yeah. Um, Who knows? Yeah. So it's going to, it's going to be a while for us, but I think, I think if you're able to understand what's going to play to the new audiences that we'll, we'll be seeing and, and the new kind of society that we we'll reentered into, I think, I think you'll be better for it. And I should probably be, heeding my own goddamn advice right now. <laughs> You're right. It's it's going to be the people who are most flexible and the most adaptable people who succeed. Like people oh. who can, yeah, yeah, that's what it's going to be. But yeah, it, it's kind of a, it's like a resetting of the, yeah, because it's, it's so weird how like all the professional comedians just haven't been doing comedy. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, so, All right, mean, man. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Go. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I mean, I, 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 I was just going to reiterate that those people are going to be, you know, joining where we are. Um, and so that we, you know, it may be a good opportunity, especially for, you know, people who may not be at like a headliner level, but are really successful in comedy. We may be able to learn a lot from just being in the same, same place as them you know, career-wise, at least, right now. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe a good opportunity. Yeah. 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 This was fun. Thanks for doing it, man. Of course, man. Thanks for the call. Um, We should do it. Let's do this again. Do you want to do this again sometime? Yeah, call me me next year when you're still doing four (laughs) hours a day. All right, let's do it next year. I'm writing on my schedule right now. (laughs) I mean, shit, man. I'll put it down on mine. Dude, let's do it in, like, a couple... Hmm? And what? I was gonna say let's do it in like a couple of weeks or something. 
couple of weeks. What am I going to have done between now and then? A couple of weeks. <laughs> Dude, Ahmed, Ahmed was on board. Third guest. Yeah, okay, so Dude. next time you call Ahmed, call both of us, and we'll both talk to you. <laughs> oh, wait, go wait, ahead. we go might ahead. actually, we might actually be able, I think we can do that. I think we can do a, we can do a three-way probably, me, you, and Ahmed. Yeah, get a, get a panel together, get a whole, a whole room of people. Dude, <laughs> well, what we really need to do is do this in person, like not now, of course, but like when everything gets back to kind of normal is we should do this. It's way more fun in person than over the phone. Definitely. I mean, I don't know if I'd come to Northridge, but I would definitely be interested in doing it in person. I come, I come down to you. I come down to Sherman. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's yeah. Yeah. That'd be fun. But anyway, yeah. Anyway, thanks for doing it. Of course, Chris, thanks for the talking. And uh, hopefully you can put in, interested beginning to uh explain our our friendship <laughs> you want you want me you really you really want me to do that intro wait what do you even want I me to you, yeah i just I, I want you to look at the file for a minute before you put it up <laughs> i i don't know what i would say people can tell they can tell that we know each other just by the way that we're you know like they know that we're not complete strangers because well yeah we i would be doing say, a hey, podcast i think it's a yeah, I don't. I I think I would have said, "Hey, you have the wrong number." When I first picked up, <laughs> we didn't know each other. But I'm just saying, I think it's a good context to say this is the first person I ever met in comedy in Los Angeles. Dude, the funny, I mean, that's the funniest. Video. Dude, the funniest part about that is I wrote on my note card here. I wrote because I use note cards for podcasts too. I wrote first. I wrote first. Thank you, Greg, first person who was nice to me in L.A. at the Comedy Store. Uh, I wrote that down. Yeah, dude. <laughs> oh, dude, the Comedy Store, so I, the comedy store can be a very, a very toxic place when no one talks to each other and everyone's in their own head. And, you know, there's only, you know, 15 of us that get picked to go up, and there's 200 of us there. Um, so I, I think it's, it's a place that could use a little bit of fucking kindness and humility sometimes. Dude, yeah, that that makes you like, I don't know, I, it's hard to even explain. Because like some people, because most people wouldn't reach out and like say hi, like be nice to people. So like that makes you like a really good person, you know? No, I think <laughs> I I just, I was able to see that we were both in the same place. I had done comedy for, you know, almost two years at that point, And I was still, you know, showing up to potluck and maybe seeing only a couple of faces that I knew. Um, and, you know, people were also ignoring me. So I was just like, you know, we were in the same place. And I kind of, I, I feel like I recognized that a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, dude, you're the, but you're the kind of guy who, like, the person who's in the cafeteria, they're eating lunch by themselves. You're probably the person who goes and sits with them is what I mean, right? I would say that my friends in middle school were the friends who sat by themselves together. <laughs> but I'm, I don't know if that was that was my doing or, or what. I definitely wasn't cool, and neither were my friends. So you you were just all right. All right, I'll I'll stop trying to compliment you. Then. We'll, we'll save it for the next one. We'll save it for the next. One. We'll save it for for uh, dude. Me, you, and Ahmed. We'll do me, you, and Ahmed. That'd be fun. All right, I dig it. All right, man. Take care, and see ya. All right. See you, Chris. Stay healthy. All right. Yep, yep. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Rate, review, share, subscribe, baby.